Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. A'udhu billahi minash shaytanir rajeem. Bismillahir rahmanir rahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wa sallallahu tabarak wa ta'ala wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad. Sayyidina wa sanadina wa habibina wa shafi'ina wa maulana. Sallallahu alayhi wa ala alihi wa ashabihi wa azwajihi wa dhuriyatihi wa ahli baytihi wa man tabi'ahum bi ihsanin ila yawmiddini wa ba'd. So we continue from our uh, uh, reading yesterday uh, when we described the different segments of the hadith of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that the deen is nasiha, the deen is giving good advice. And uh, then um, Ibn Abi Zayd drops something very heavy. Uh, and it's really not his words, it's uh, words of the hadith of the Prophet وسلم, which he'll bring then later on and describe them as a great asl from the usul of deen, a great foundation from the foundations of deen. He says, وَلَا يَبْلُغُ أَحَدٌ حَقِيقَةَ الْإِيمَانِ حَتَّى يُحِبَّ لِأَخِيهِ الْمُؤْمِنِ مَا يُحِبُّ لِنَفْسِهِ كَذَلِكَ رُوِي عَنْ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم. Uh, so he says that uh, he says what he says that a person cannot they will be obstructed from they cannot reach the reality of faith inside of their heart they cannot reach the reality of iman and what is iman iman is that uh, madda and that merchandise uh, in exchange for which jannah and everlasting life is uh, purchased that a person cannot reach the reality of iman uh, until he loves for his brother uh, who believes uh, uh, that which he loves for hi himself, uh, and such is narrated uh, uh, in the uh, in the uh, um, the narrations from the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and he'll mention it uh, uh, word for word later on. The Hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam: "La yu'minu ahadukum hatta yuhibba liakhihi ma yuhibbu li nafsihi." Uh, which is uh, uh, the wording of uh, Sahih Muslim that one of you will not believe. And this genre of la yu'minu ahadukum ahadith means what? Uh, that it doesn't necessarily mean the difference between iman and kufr, but it means the takmila, the perfection of iman is not reached in a person until they love for their uh, brother uh, that which they love for themselves. So if you're okay with uh, one thing for yourself and you... Uh, are, are okay with something else for your brothers and sisters until and unless that thing that you love for your brother or your sister is greater than the thing that you love for yourself this is a defect in your iman this is a nuqs in your iman it needs to be worked out before the uh, before the time of mot and uh, it's 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 a very serious affair Ibn Abi Zayd mentions that you know that this is not this whole model of like Allah have Mercy on me and on Muhammad and on nobody else. A Bedouin came and said this one time to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam had to gently explain to him that the mercy of Allah Taala is much greater than that. That's not how things work. It's not the law of scarcity like in the desert. And unfortunately, you know, we, uh, you know, we don't understand that there's a difference between between material. Uh, um, between the way material things work and between the way the rizq of Allah Ta'ala works. Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala is khaliqun bila hajatin, raziqun bila mu'na. He doesn't need uh, to worry about what's currently there in order to give rizq to everybody else. So the important thing not, is not necessarily that we have practice some form of 
radical uh, communism, mm -hmm. radical socialism, where the wealth is redistributed, uh, you know, equally to everybody. Uh, that's not the way things work in the world. Not because Hamza said so, but because Allah Ta'ala, that's his choice. So when you have a blessing uh, and you want it for your brother or your sister, or when uh, there's a blessing that, that that's there and you want it for them, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to lose out on anything. I mean, dua for people is free. That's one of the most beautiful things. The dua mukhul ibadah, dua is the core, the, the core of, uh, of of worship. And uh, the fun part about dua is that the more you ask for, the more you'll get, and also the more pious you'll be. So it seems like a win-win situation. On top of everything, it's completely free. Uh, and so it's a, a type of pettiness that doesn't befit faith. Um, and it, it's a type of petty, pettiness that doesn't even befit um, uh, a sound mind that a person should not want what's good for everybody, knowing full well that Allah is the one who chooses who to give good to and, and not to. So this idea somehow you want bad for somebody else um, because of a very animalistic instinct that has to do with like hoarding, you know, food for the winter or whatever. Uh, that's like, that's just really just not, not super smart. Uh, really Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can give if Allah ta'ala were to guide uh, every Abu Jahl and every Pharaoh in the world until they uh, became pious like the companions that doesn't decrease the 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 benefit that the pious ones have at all uh, if anything wanting them to be guided whether they're guided or not it, it will just increase them in their piety uh, and on the flip side you know uh, uh, them not being guided it's not going to increase the people who have guidance in anything so there's no point in being petty and miserly like that you should wish for your brothers that thing which you wish for yourself uh, for from, from the ikhlas of your heart. And whether they get it or not, it's Allah Ta'ala's decision thereafter. And uh, obviously a person shouldn't be hard-hearted toward them, but you know this idea that you, know, you, you don't want success and you don't want what's good for them and you're going to obstruct or at any rate uh, uh, not facilitate what's good for, uh, for your brothers and sisters, this is really harmful. Uh, this is the idea that like, you know, people, if someone gets ahead, they pull their leg, pull them back. Um, that people are constantly trying to sabotage one another. This is really harmful. Uh, it's harm. It's harmed the ummah, and it is harming the ummah. It is harming the ummah. We all can make it. You know, we all can collaborate. We can all work synergistically with one another. It doesn't have to be that uh, your loss is my gain. It doesn't have to be a zero sum uh, game. And that's the thought process of kufr. That's not the thought process of iman. And generally speaking, that's the thought process of lazy people who inherited their wealth and their power and their legacy from somebody else. They didn't have to work for it themselves. People who work hard and people who are self-reliant, uh, they know that uh, it's okay for another person to be successful. And they, the reason is because they put their success and they peg it more with their own efforts than they do with what happens around them. Because people who feel like victims of what's happening around them, those people are those people always will feel powerless and they're going to be incompetent because they're not accustomed to doing things for themselves. They're, they're accustomed to feeling like a victim and blaming everybody else for their problems. I'm not even saying that you should do things for yourself in order to be successful. That's like a middle tier of being. The worst tier is to blame everybody else for your problem and say, if it wasn't for this person, if it wasn't for that person, this person did this to me, this person that did that to me. And they just feel sorry for themselves their whole life and they don't really do anything to help themselves or anybody else. 
The middle tier is what somebody who feels the the locus of control for their um, for their destiny is is with them, uh, and so that person will uh, cope with the circumstances that they give, and they'll make the best of what they have, and that's all any of us can do. And then the higher level than that is what is to understand that all of it comes from Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. This is the secret of Ma'rifah. This is the secret of of, of knowing Allah. And this is the secret of the ishq and the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that the person, the more powerless they become in front of the Dhatul uh, Ali, the most high and the most lofty uh, uh, and holy of, uh, of, of existences. The more they humble themselves in front of it, the more Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does things for them. And the sunnah of some people is what? Is that uh, Allah will do it for them without them having to lift a finger. That happens for some people. You, you'll see, you know, sometimes there'll be, be a person who's physically or even mentally disabled and they're living a, a, a completely set up life. Allah Ta'ala takes care of them. That's a sunnah for certain people. For certain people, uh, the sunnah is what? Is that the, the position that Dharam Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala has given them in life is such that they should work. But the, the, the blessing is what? Is that their work will yield for them results. Whatever your, uh, whatever your, uh, you know, like your horizontal integration is in life, whether you're somebody who the path Allah has laid out for you requires struggle and effort, or whether it doesn't require that much struggle or effort based on the circumstances Allah chose for you, the one whose heart is connected with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah ta'ala makes things happen for them and he makes them happen in the most appropriate way possible. Uh, but uh, this is only, this understanding only happens on the heels of ma'rifah, on the gnosis of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And part of knowing Allah is that He can do everything for everyone. It doesn't decrease anybody at all. If He makes everything happen for everybody, it won't decrease you uh, uh, and your share one bit. So why not wish the best? Why not wish the best? And it's not just why not wish the best. In fact, you have to wish the best because if you don't, until you can learn that lesson to wish the best for the creation of Allah Ta'ala, there is a severe defect in your iman. And this is not the iman of the Prophet nor the iman that he left behind for us. And so we say, Wa alaikum as salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, and Pai Faraz Q, and Pai Jihad Abdul Rahim, and Pai Asadullah Khidr, mashallah. We spent, all of us in different times and places, spent good time together, mashallah. So he says that, uh, that you're, you know, that a person will not reach the reality of Iman until he loves for his believing brother uh, that which he. And loves for himself, and there's there's a lot to be said here. Uh, inshallah, we will move on. However, he says, "Kadalika ruya an al-Nabiyyis an Rasulillah sallallahu alaihi wasallam an yasila rahimahu." And just like that, it is narrated from the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam that a person uh, 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 that a person must what. That a person must uh, uh, connect their kinship bonds or keep their kinship bonds. Now, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala mentions this in His book uh, 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 in a number of places, and uh, one of the most powerful places uh, He mentions uh, it in is in Surah Muhammad. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, "Fahal asaytum in tawallaytum an tufsidu fil ardi wa tuqatti'u arhamakum." And so he chastises uh, uh, he chastises a uh, people and says, uh, "Are you on the brink 
or is do you is it is are you on the brink of or are you about to or are you going to uh, turn away if you turn away from this message uh, and uh, cause mischief in the earth and cut your kinship bonds with one another. So this is this is in the siyak of the of the of the ayat, uh, the two ayahs that are mentioned. It is a, a superlative example of fasad, of, of mischief, of breaking those things that uh, shouldn't be broken and spoiling those things that shouldn't be spoiled and those things that there's no sense in breaking or no sense in spoiling that will only cause damage and not cause any benefit. So fala asaytum. Are you? Are is it? Is it that indeed you are going to intawallaytum? And asa uh, in the in the language of the creation is means it's possible that this will happen or it'll, or that will happen. Asa when Allah Subhanahu wa Taala uses it means it's definitely going to happen because He's the one that His affair is not except for if He wishes for a thing to be, He says to it be and it is. So if he suggests a thing, that means that that thing is going to happen. Uh, and so uh, he says that, uh, you know, are you are you going down this path that if you should turn away, if you should turn away from, uh, if you should turn away from this deen, that you will, that you will cause mischief in the earth, that you'll sow mischief in the earth. arhamakum, and uh, here it's not taqta'u, it's tuqatta'u. There's a form of emphasis in it. As a form of of emphatic statement, that you will you will you will just destroy uh, your your relationship with your kinsmen, and remember that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala in His book, even the people who are mushrikeen idolaters, as long as they're not openly antagonistic to the Deen, uh, still uh, they're you know they you know the their kinship bonds have a a value for a Muslim. They have a value in the Deen. Uh, and the uh, the connection and keeping of kinship bonds is uh, part of what makes civilization civilization, and uh, what differentiates us from being kind of fancy pants chimpanzees uh, uh, is what is that we we keep our kinship bonds, we f- value our kinship bonds, we protect family, we have altruism for our families. Civilization, the basic unit of civilization, is is the family. It always has been. And I'm not talking about the nuclear family. I'm talking about the extended family. And this is from the akhlaq of Nabuwa that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa told, uh, uh, told the companions that you'll conquer Egypt one day. And when you conquer them, uh, treat them, treat them, you know, give them my salam and give, uh, to, uh, give them my regards and uh, treat them in uh, with uh, um, with honor because, because of the kin- kinship that we share with them. And what's the kinship that the Arabs, khususan bil khusus, in specific that the um, that the Banu Ismail, the Musta'rib, share with uh, the Egyptians is that their great 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 grandmother, Sayyidah Hajar alayhi salam, was a noble woman of Egypt, and she was given as a gift to Sayyidah Ibrahim alayhi salam, much uh, out of the fear of, of of the Pharaoh of the time. And so uh, it said that uh, it said that the uh, Egyptians were actually impressed, and uh, this talk, talk, you know, spread amongst them that this man must be a nabi if he has so much concern and thought for keeping kinship bonds. That uh, uh, that you know that kinship bonds, the keeping of kinship bonds, and the honoring of kinship bonds is something that is that that is what society is civilization is built on. 
good society, healthy and wholesome society, civilization. The problem is nowadays the state is replacing people's parents, the state is replacing people's spouses, the state is replacing people's children, the state is replacing the, the functions that a per, per, person has. Like, well, how does the state replace your parents? The state tells you what to do. It used to be that children used to follow the professions of their parents, but now uh, the children don't follow the professions of their parents. The state is the one who takes care of all of that. The state is the one who gives the children their tarbiyah through compulsory schooling which I'm not saying is a haram or evil or whatever. There are some bad parts of it and there's some haram parts of it too, to be very frank. But fine, there's some khair in it, there's some benefit in it. We don't have to throw out the baby with the bathwater. But the point is, do you really want the state to be uh, uh, the one that gives your children their, their tarbiyah and they don't receive it from you? Um, you know, how does the state, you know, uh, replace a person's uh, spouse? Uh, you know, that the, traditionally, like, you know, for example, security, children, women, their, uh, uh, you know, their protection was the uh, the task of what their fathers, their brothers, their husbands, their sons. Uh, and now what is it? Now women and vulnerable children, vulnerable parties will actually seek refuge with the state against their, their own families. And undoubtedly, there are certain uh, exceptional cases where that may be warranted or necessary. But what ends up happening is you, you have like a really out of sync uh, and a really out of equilibrium uh, society where people actually start to look to the state. They start to behave in certain ways that shows that they put more trust in the state than they put with their families. And the state is not going to take care of you. Uh, you're just a prop in their, uh, you know, in their, uh, in, in the scheme of things. They don't care. Uh, and this is, it's really, it's really, you know, it's important for us to understand. It's like a very Dajjalic like uh, type of mindset that the role that Dean used to play is in, especially in a society that's quote unquote secular, right? The state has it, right? You cannot, you know, you can say whatever you want about Allah. You can say whatever you want about the Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. You can say whatever you want about your family members. You can say whatever you want about your elders. You can say whatever you want, even about this race and that race in many cases. Um, but what you can't do is you cannot you cannot threaten the writ, writ of the state. And we're not interested in threatening the writ of the state. But the point is, is what? Is that if that's the only thing you can't do, that means that in that deen, that's what's sacred. In that aqidah, that's what's sacred. And we say, like, what's sacred about the Republican Party and the Democratic Party? What's sacred about the governor of Illinois or, like, the, 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 the you know, chief executive of DuPage County or whatever, right? There's nothing sacred about any of these people. Um, the best of them are good public servants, and unfortunately, they're very few and far between. And the worst of them, you know, you just turn on your TV and you see what they are. So, uh, you know, so we don't, you know, we don't, we see that as a very dysfunctional model for society and it's not going to make civilization rather, it will end up resulting in, in essentially the system of the, the Jal. Whereas a stable society, if everybody is stable within their family units, you can literally have anarchy not anarchy in like the way we, uh, like we describe anarchy as like, uh, like between people and common speech as, as like being chaos. There's a difference between chaos and anarchy. Anarchy is what? Is that there's no ruler above people. There's no government or police to enforce uh, enforce uh, laws. That type of anarchy exists in a lot of places in the Muslim world. And in fact, those are some of the most stable and orderly of places. Those are the places you knock on someone's door and ask for something to eat. They'll give it to you. Those are the places if you ask for assistance, they'll render it to you. Where is anarchy? The Badia, 
right? The open desert, there's there's anarchy. Uh, it doesn't mean that people are like you know walking around naked, like firing guns in the air. You know, that's not that's not what what that means. It means that there's no real writ of the state. Like you know, you can drive your car as fast as you want. Nobody is going to give you a ticket because there's really no uh, writ of state being enforced over there. This is probably you know not like a very couth example, but like you know, if you're going to use the ba bathroom in the badia, where's the bathroom? There's no bathroom. It's like the open desert. So what do you do? If you want to know freedom, I'm not, the First and Second Amendment are nothing compared to the the Badia, to the open desert. If you want to know freedom, there's no constitution in the world that can give you the freedom of just being able to go into an open field and, like, you know, answer the call of nature just out in the open, right? There's really no system over there. There's no system over there of any governance whatsoever. But because, you know, if you uh, pass through the lands of a Badu that are people of Iman, then if you ask them for food, they'll give you hospitality. If you ask them for aid, they'll give you from what they have. It may not be fancy, but they'll give you what they have. You know, if you ask, if you you know want to pray with them, they'll pray with you. Um, if you have a society that's based on families, even when there is, because Islam doesn't, by the way, Islam doesn't believe in anarchy. It doesn't believe in not having government. Uh, Islam believes that the state, you know, the establishment of the virtuous state is a sacred duty of the Muslims when, when at all possible. Uh, but uh, still, uh, the point of mentioning this is what is that if the family unit is intact, even anarchy is uh, is palatable. If it's not intact, then then the the, the system of the state and the power of the state um, it, it becomes very satanic. It becomes very satanic. It's just absolute control over people uh, with uh, no benefit and uh, no uh, uh, virtue, neither for their deen nor their dunya nor in this world nor in the hereafter. And it will reach uh, uh, at some point uh, a, a a completely um, satanic level with with the Dajjal, the Antichrist, the the false Messiah, and uh, um, it's just nightmarish. And generally speaking, all all uh, right-minded and morally upright people always uh, resisted tyranny for this reason because they know that it's going to be the subject of abuse. And this is really interesting. I was mentioning to one of the brothers today that uh, the book, one of the books I'm I'm reading, I'm kind of slowly making my way through is uh, a, a book on the classical period in the of uh, the Ottoman Empire by Khalil Inaljik. Uh, who's a Turkish scholar, I'm told that he's passed. Um, and he doesn't seem like, I don't know what his personal thing was with regards to Islam or whatever, but by reading his work, he doesn't seem like a super excited, like to be a believer type of person. Wallahu alam, Allah knows best. I don't know anything about him personally, but I don't get that impression from his from his work, which is, uh, has a, 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 a relatively representative a coolness toward Dean that is there in academic writing, if not a mild, mild sort of almost like sarcastic antagonism to certain concepts of Islam, wallahu alam. But uh, one of the things he mentioned, he mentioned that like, you know, he mentioned the high high position that, uh, you know, the the Yenicheri, uh, 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 the, you know, the, 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 the Janissary armies from the Dushirma system used to have and that soldiers and the no nobility and governors and different, you know, uh, 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 members of state had, and they had a very wide leeway to enforce the writ uh, 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 of the rule of the sultan and to enforce order in the countryside in different places. And, um, you know, you think it's chaos right now in America with like different approaches to Corona between Alabama and California and New York and Rhode Island and Michigan and Ohio. 
um, imagine like that state in which you have your provinces are like Algeria and Sudan and Yemen and uh, you know Bosnia and uh, Hungary and uh, you know Bulgaria and 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 uh, places like uh, like you know like the Black Sea region, the Northern Black Sea region, parts of what's now Ukraine. You have different people; they speak different languages, they have different religions, they follow different madhabs, they have different ruling traditions, and the Ottoman system, the Ottoman code, you know, was remarkably complex. Um, in spelling out which parts of the universal system will be applicable where and which parts of the traditional system in, in a particular land will be applicable in the law, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But on top of all of that, you know, this is a pre-modern era. There's no idea of like universal human rights, which is, uh, uh, yeah, Q, that's, that's the book. There's no idea of like universal human rights and like, you know, uh, the freedom of this and the freedom of that in general, uh, rule was uh, absolute. And, uh, if anything, uh, absolute rule was tempered in the Muslim world by the idea that you have, uh, the, the mandate of, uh, of the sacred law above every ruler, uh, through whom, uh, through which I should say the ruler derives legitimacy, but then on the, uh, you know, in exchange for that, the, the rulers also have to be uh, subject uh, to it. So one of the things that was really interesting in that book is that they mentioned um, that uh, before enforcing orders, before enforcing punishments, and in particular death, uh, death sentences, always, always there had to be uh, the seal of a qadi, of a judge, that uh, uh, that had to accompany those orders. Otherwise, nobody can execute anybody. Um, and many punishments cannot be uh, enacted uh, without the seal of the Qadi uh, uh, on an order saying that this is conformant to the uh, sacred law. And the government could definitely appoint their uh, Qadi, their judges, and dismiss them. But if the Qadi doesn't put the seal on it, they couldn't do it. And this is remarkable. This is completely remarkable. It's a completely different model of, uh, of state uh, versus what we have nowadays where, you know, where... Um, uh, in states of emergency, which will become longer and longer and more and more unchecked, the, the the functionaries that represent the state have no oversight whatsoever. America has been in that same state of emergency since 9/11, um, and that's the you know through the Patriot Act. There's so many things, particularly the ire comes down on the Muslims. There's like no oversight for who's on the no-fly list. There's no oversight on who they let into the country, who they kick out, who they deport. There's so many things that the oversight is being eroded uh, in. And uh, you know, even even without the oversight, what is it? This is, democracy is is checks and balance against that. Well, democracy is what brought you this guy who's literally defunding the World Health Organization, which I have no particular love for or any uh, you know investment in. But like he's literally defunding the World Health Organization in the middle of a pandemic, blaming them for doing stuff that he himself. Uh, did and that's by far not his only sin. Okay, forget about the current mojuda halat. Okay, you know Donald Trump. If you're listening to my my Maliki Fik podcast, let's bury the hatchet and be friends. No problem. I have no irrational uh, 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 hatred for you, and I have no like love for like the your whatever uh, ever expanding horizon of like 17 and 37 gender. Uh, uh, your uh, you know. Uh, antagonists in, in, in the, in the, in the uh, House of Representatives. No problem. Let's go back, far back, far back. Where do they attribute their democracy to? Uh, um, they attribute it to the, to the Greeks 
And amongst the myriad defects in democracy that someone can say, well, women couldn't vote and slaves couldn't vote and this couldn't vote and that could. Okay, fine, put all those issues to the side. You know, one of the most important figures in, uh, in, in, in ancient Greece uh, and a figure about whom Greek people to this day are very proud, even though I don't think modern Greek people have much claim or much nisba to him, but they're very proud of him. Uh, is an individual named Socrates. Socrates was the sheikh of Plato. Plato was the sheikh of Aristotle. Aristotle, um, you know, was this like, you know, really amazing person who uh, systematized, uh, you know, logic. Uh, and uh, logic and rationality are such an important part of all human, uh, 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 you know, just all human function. And imagine this, that uh, Aristotelian logic, they call literally to this day, they call it Aristotelian logic. It was like 2,300, 2,400 years ago. And there's been very little development in the field, not because people haven't been thinking about logic and not because they're, uh, you know, uh, the, the, you know, there's not like a neat, you know, like there isn't majal, like there isn't like a, a, a possibility if there's a way of improving on it that people, A, wouldn't improve and wouldn't take benefit from that improvement, but just because he did such a good job at, at uh, uh, expounding, you know, uh, how logic works. Very little, very little change has happened in those, uh, whatever, over 2,000 years uh, uh, f uh, since then. Um, and so imagine who must have his sheikh been, who must have his sheikh's sheikh been. And, uh, uh, you know, who was Socrates? Socrates was a man who said, let's go and re-examine all the ideas in our society and uh, apply a, 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 an objective criteria against them and think about them and scrutinize them and see are they actually true or not. And as a jaza, as a re recompense for this idea of his, um, they took a vote. It was democracy. They took a vote and decided we have to kill this guy. It was democracy that killed him. So, uh, you know, if you want to talk about, if you want to talk about, uh, uh, you want to talk about which system is scary. Democracy can be a very scary system as well. Even in this country, the idea that, that uh, you know, you have to have a, 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 a public which is well-informed in order for democracy to be, uh, in order for democracy to be a good thing. Because if everybody is an ignoramus and everybody's a Yahoo, then your democracy is just going to be a force for implementing Yahooism, which unfortunately has been suggested in some shady circles that you know we may be going through a little bit of this uh, right now at the current time. So the point is, is this is that the family is a bulwark uh, against that. Uh, it, it's not, a, I mean, I, even that I think is, is to undersell it. First of all, it is the main, it is the main unit of civilization. And when it ceases to be the main unit of civilization, when civilization and all of its tasks are uh, assumed by the state instead of the instead of the family, you will lose out on the humanity. You will lose out on the fitrah. The state is not going to be able to teach you how to be a human being like your mother and father can, like your brothers and sisters can. It's not going to love you. It's not going to take care of you. And it's not going to teach you those lessons that you have to learn both through Jalal and through Jamal, through uh, difficulty and through ease uh, that you will learn from your, uh, from, from your family. Rather, it will push things toward the matrix. You're just like a body heat uh, uh, producer for the energy of the system. Uh, 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 you know, it'll push toward that end of the continuum, and it will take on nightmarish dimensions, which you don't have to be the Cohen brothers to uh, 
to, to accept or understand. You don't have to be watching the matrix to accept or understand. As far as I'm concerned, the way that the Prophet ﷺ described the Dajjal and his uh, reign at the end of time, it's far scarier than anything in the matrix and Allah Ta'ala be our protection. So the, that's one of the things is that a person should, uh, you know, a person, uh, it, it's, uh, uh, Nabi ﷺ said that a person has to, uh, uh, has to make sure to keep their kinship bonds, and this is most emphatic for your parents, but it also implies to it also applies to your brothers and sisters, to your children, to all people you have a relationship with, uh, near and far. And the emphasis increases the nearer the the relationship is uh, with said people. So Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says that are you on the brink of what of 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 uh, if you turn away from Deen. And then you cause mischief in the earth and you break all of your kinship bonds. He said, Allah Ta'ala says, those are the ones, uh, 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 those are the people who Allah has cursed. Allah Ta'ala has removed them from His mercy. Uh, and He made them deaf and He made their vision blind. Uh, that such people who are like that, you know, it's not like there's not like a lot of good left in them. In fact, the blind and deaf. Uh, example in the Quran is the the example for the person in which there's no more khair left. That person has no share in the mercy of Allah and they themselves, there's no more good that can be expected from them. And the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, you know, in the in the number of hadith, the plethora of hadith in which he mentions the importance of keeping kinship bonds, uh, uh, he says something really important. Well, a couple of the really important things. Um, one is that the, the way you keep your kinship bonds is what? He says that the person who keeps their kinship bonds is not the one who um, acts on mukafa'a, the one who acts on reciprocity. Rather, the one who keeps their kinship bonds is the one that when they sought a relationship with someone, they were cut off. But when uh, uh, when the the reverse opportunity is there, when someone from their relation uh, relations seeks a a, uh, a relationship with them, that they they will reach out and and keep relationship with them. That the one who didn't invite you to their wedding, that when it's your wedding, you invite them. The one who didn't uh, give you money when you ask when they when when you ask them for it, when they ask you for money, you give them. The one who uh, you know didn't extend their hand out to say salam, you be the first one to extend your hand out. The one that didn't, uh, uh, you know, uh, there's so many things. You know, the person who didn't, uh, uh, um, you know, do something for you, you the, you're the one who did it. You're the one who did it for them when you had the chance to turn around you know, turn a deaf ear and a blind eye to them and just screw them over, that you didn't take that chance. And it's hard. Uh, one of the reasons is because relatives, like, totally deserve it sometimes. They, like, they really deserve it. Oh, my goodness, they deserve it. But you don't do it for their sake. You do it for the sake of Allah Ta'ala. And this is illustrated, which is the second point I wanted to make. This is illustrated in the hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that the uh, rahim, the kinship bonds of a person will take on a personification on the Day of Judgment. Allah Ta'ala will... Make it into a person. Basically, it will it will take on anthropomorphic form, and it will plead on the day of judgment when people's judgments are going on. And its plea will be what will be, Oh Allah, keep relations uh, with those people who kept relations through me, and cut off those people who cut cut people off through me. Which is really like it's really scary. Then you're like, okay, well, I can invite my you know screwball cousin to like you know whatever my daughter's wedding. 
you know, I can I can give someone fifteen dollars, or I can take their phone call, or I can say Eid Mubarak first to them, even though they never said it back to said it first to me, or even though they didn't like respond last year or whatever. It's worth doing those things because not about those screwball nut job people. Uh, it's about what well, it's about keeping your relationship with Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Well, um, uh, the creation is the dependence of Allah Taala. Unfortunately, unfortunately, if we were to think of Allah as our Father. Uh, and I know there's some allergy to this, uh, these expressions. Much of it is due to the abuse of them uh, by, uh, you know, by, 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 by Christians and by uh, other uh, groups. But if we were to think of Allah as our father, not in the biological sense, but like, you know, that this is the nurturing relationship. He's the Rabbul Alam. He's the Rabb, just like the Rabbul Manzil is like the man of the house. That if we were to think of Allah Ta'ala, that we're his dependents and he's like our, our father, then the kinship bond, which is the most abused, is the one that we have with him. Because he gives us always and we don't give him always. And he gave us without uh, uh, any sort of stinginess in his hearts. And we're the ones like, oh, if I pray for, you know, like, you know, and like, I'm going to get hungry and I have to go. So I'm going to skip my du'as. I'm going to skip my liquor. I'm going to skip this and that. And unfortunately, I'm not talking about anybody else. I mean, we have to be honest with ourselves. We all know our own how. And we're the ones who, who, who cut him off again and again from his right. Uh, and he's the one who gives through his love again and again. And uh, uh, we're the ones who like don't do what we're supposed to do, you know. It's like uh, you know, even your even your parents when you're a kid, like you know, if you don't clean your room, you don't get your allowance. If you don't mow the lawn, you're not going to get your allowance. If you don't get good grades, you know, your whatever your mother's not going to let you play Nintendo or whatever. Like you know, this is what things good parents do. At least they used to at some point. Um, but Allah Taala is the one. Uh, he lays down all of these rules: don't do this, don't do that. Even kufr is the thing that he doesn't forgive. Even that, if the if if you come back to him crying like a small child comes to his mother crying, and he say, "I'm sorry," he said, "It's okay." Uh, so uh, the person who wishes to honor that bond that they have with the Lord, uh, let them let them uh, let them cut some slack to their relatives, as stupid as they may be. Uh, um, let them cut some slack to their relatives uh, whenever they're able to. And look, you know, there's like all sorts of people have these questions like so-and-so is so toxic. I mean, what do you mean? Well, like, no, literally, like they tried to poison me last time I went to their house. Okay, khalas, don't go to their house then. You know, there are levels. Like if it's your cousin's great-grand's nephew's dog's barber's uh, sister-in-law's cousin's daughter's whatever, Okay, you know, you don't have to go visit their house like once a week. Go you know, send them an email or a, a WhatsApp message on Eden. That's your keeping relationship with them. If somebody is really super toxic and harmful to you, give them a phone call. Don't go visit their house. If you know, especially if you know it's going to end up in a fight or an argument. But the point is, is this is that, that uh, uh, you know, you don't have the right, first of all, in your heart to cut off from somebody. And then second of all, if super high amounts of interaction with someone are toxic, you still don't have the right to completely cut yourself off from them. You know, you go 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 and say salam to them. Go and say wa say wa alaikum salam to them. Send them that, that text message on Eid. Send them that text message on whatever. Go visit their house. If you can't deal with it but once a year, then visit their house once a year. That's it.
you know, hear the stupid things that they have to say to you. You know, some people have a real knack, like whenever you meet them, they'll always say something annoying, they'll always say something stupid. I realize at this point that I might be that person to some people. If I am to you, then please forgive me. I'm sorry. I actually think about it and try not to. And, uh, you know, hopefully as time goes on, I get more and more successful about it. Um, and all of us should scrutinize. Are we that person that all we do is we just say like stupid stuff to people? You know, let's try something for a change. Let's try saying something nice. You know, like, uh, you know, hey, you at home on YouTube, mashallah, you're listening to dars. Allah Ta'ala keep you happy. You know, make, an, uh, make, a, make a habit of saying nice things to people. And that's not like anyone who's been to high school in the United States knows that like that's not really something that, that you learn uh, uh, as a urf of our people. Uh, but there's, there's khair in it. There's good in it. You know, you know, think of something nice to say to someone who's like really annoying, like, you know, or somebody who's really horrible, you know, be like, oh, wow, uh, you know, I like, you know, your, you know, the way you do your comb over and you speak with such confidence and like, sure, sometimes you don't, you know, like, I don't, we don't see eye to eye on some of the stuff that you say when you're on Fox News, but like, you know, you say with such confidence and, uh, you know. You, you, you're, and we appreciate that you're trying your best, or at least you wish you were trying your best. There's always something nice you can say to somebody, right? Um, but there are going to be some people who somehow or another, like it's reflexive. Some people, it's not even on purpose. It's just like years of bad habits and like their own like parents beating them when they were kids or like, I don't know, someone did something to them. They hit their head against something really hard. When I don't know what it was, but there's something in them that they, and you cannot explain to them like how to become a better person. They're just like that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, we made some of you to be a fitna, to be a trial and a test for other people. Will you not be patient? And so once you know this person, the only reason you know they have for living is what is for them to be a human uh, thawab multiplier for you, a human reward multiplier for you. Then don't worry about the dumb things that they're gonna say. You know, like literally, I, there are people. There, there are people. There are uh, people. Uh, they meet me. The first thing they'll be like, "Oh, your your turban is on sloppy," and I'm like, "Oh, Subhanallah, I don't recall asking you for fashion advice." But, you know, after a while, who cares what these people have to say? It doesn't really matter. If you have some, you know, if you're a person of some worth inside, you know, then it, it helps you to let these things roll off. If you're not, if your entire uh, self-value and self-worth is based on what other people say to you or how many uh, people like your Instagram posts uh, about what you had for dinner last week or like how many Twitter followers you have or whatever, that's going to be hard. So this is like a little segue, a little side plug for you. Go make zikr sometimes. Go give charity. Do something that inside of your heart you can say, okay, I, at least I did something right in my life. I may not be a great person, but there's something I did right that you can return to. For that moment when people make these mother-in-law type comments, even if they are your mother-in-law, not my mother, my mother-in-law is wonderful, especially if she's watching. Oh my goodness, she's the best mother-in-law in the world. But I've heard as a purely theoretical uh, 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 matter that that some people have not had as wonderful and lovely of a relationship with their mother-in-law as I do. Um, if someone like all they have is like those types of comments to say, just be like, yeah, chorro, let it, uh, you know, uh, 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 let it go. Allah Taala made this person just as a human thawab multiplier. Uh, they're a footnote in 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 my progress, and it's really interesting because like. Uh, the, the deen and the dunya are like completely opposite. So people want to rise up in the dunya, they become Machiavellian, they use people, you know? 
And that's wrong. We don't do that. You don't use people. You don't use the, you know destroy their lives and their hopes and dreams and their money and their property in order to step on their face and your climb to the top materially, materially. But spiritually, that's exactly what you're supposed to do. Someone says something dumb to you. What do you do? You smile and you move on. And what happens? That person's face becomes a stepping stone for your ascension, and they push themselves down. How many of a human himar? Right. This is my, by the way, my one of my gauges for how uh, 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 how much uh, uh, connection you have with Muslim civilization. How many Muslim languages can you say the word donkey in? Right. It's himar in Persian. It's what khar. Right in Turkish and like centrally Turkic, I should say, is Ishak. Right in Urdu is Gadha, Punjabi is Kota. Right, it means something different in Punjabi. Right, even if a person is a complete, uh, complete Himal, what is it? And people say these comments and they'll say something on Facebook or they'll say something on Twitter, and literally like 10,000 people will see it. And I'm like, subhanAllah, Allah Ta'ala brought this person. I have so many sins. And he uh, brought this person, for, you know, uh, in order to relieve me of my burden. You know, I, I have so many sins. Allah Ta'ala brought this person to relieve me of my burden. What is it? It's a load off of your thing. You stepped on their face on your way up. They go down. Inshallah, Allah forgives them. Say, uh, say I forgive them. Inshallah, Allah forgives them. You go up even higher. Right? If you were to do it in the dunya, it'd make you a bad person. But in the deen, that's all it is. They're a footnote in in the in the in in the glory of the story of your suluk and your your irtiqa, uh, 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 your taraqi, your progress upward. Uh, that's all it is. Just like you just let it go. You know, if you think about them, it'll piss you off even more, uh, more and more. And uh, if you think about Allah, then you'll be able to let it go. And I, you know, I say that I say that from personal experience. There's a lot of people who really upset me and anger me uh, a lot. Uh, and the more I think about them, the more I, I increase the monster grows inside. And then the more I think about the Rabb Tabaraka Taala, I'm like, yeah, let it go, let it go. So this is a, a secret. If you don't make dhikr of Allah Taala, you're not going to be able to do this. Uh, you're not going to be able to keep your kinship bonds because family is so just so crazy. Sometimes they just so sometimes they so crazy. Uh, so uh, you know, so this is in the higher realm. The point of keeping your kinship bonds. This is like kind of like we mentioned that your parents are the first form of authority. They're the benchmark against whom you think about authority. If you think well of them, or if you treat them well, there's a possibility you can also then treat you know your relationship with Allah Taala uh, in in a, in a proper way. And if you don't, you can't. And it's something very similar applies to your kinship bonds, to your. Uh, 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 to your bonds with your relatives that you keep them for the sake of Allah Ta'ala Allah Ta'ala made them as a vehicle for your forgiveness and as a vehicle for your taraqi for your uh, for your progress every so often every so often someone will have a relative who's like 98% knucklehead and not 100% knucklehead and what the difference is between the two of them is what is that at some point or another in life those people will change and they'll become good people uh, even if they don't still, what I said applies. But there are some people that you will you will do good by them, and while they're busy being a jerk to you, and one day they'll come to you. You know, they'll come to you crying. They'll come to you with their hat in their hands, uh, uh, and say, you know, you were good and I was bad, and you know, you were this and I was that. That day, don't be a jerk. Accept their apology. 
especially someone who's apologizing sincerely. There's some people who like uh, do kind of, uh, uh, you know, pardon the French, but they do like a half-assed apology. Um, those, uh, depending on the case, it may be better just to let them cook a little bit more before before accepting. But uh, um, but the uh, uh, you know there there when they come with sincerity, uh, then that they forgive them and uh, uh, you know hopefully uh, whatever good they get from reforming themselves, you'll also have a share of that. And there's no loss in it as well. But if you cut people off, you cut off the door of people coming back to the uh, to the deed. So uh, uh, you know, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala give all of us tawfiq. One of the comments is there's so much nur, mashallah. It's not so much nur. It's just that we have very mashallah lighting. I have one, two, three, four, five, six, uh, six lamps set up. I'm becoming uh, mashallah somewhat of a junior film producer. So that's what that is. Women haq al mu'mini ala al mu'mini an yusallima alayhi idha laqiyahu wa ya'udahu idha marida wa yushammituhu afwan wa yushammituhu idha atasa wa yashada janazatahu idha mata wa yahfawahu idha ghaba fi sirri wal alaniya And so this is this is a a, uh, uh, uh. Again, the muqtada of a uh, This is the muqtada of a, of a hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam About uh, uh, those things uh, 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 Those things which are the haq of a believer on another believer The right of a believer on another believer And all of them, uh, uh, they return to uh, they return to uh, the asal, the the foundational principle which we mentioned earlier in today's dars, which is that one of you will not reach the reality of iman until what uh, uh, until uh, they love for their brother uh, that which they love for themselves. Uh, so. Uh, uh, these things are all mentioned in the hadith of a prophet of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam that as the right of one believer over the other so he mentions here that uh, 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 from the rights of a believer on on his brother believer is that he should say salam to him i don't know if there's anyone in the muslim world uh, um, who is watching but this is one of the kind of sadnesses and sicknesses that we have in the muslim world is that we take having other Muslims around for granted and uh, when everybody you see uh, in the day neither knows the name of the uh, the Lord doesn't know the divine name nor do they know the name of the Prophet nor do they know who they are uh, a person gets worn down from the from the poverty the spiritual poverty of their state and uh, you know you should appreciate the fact that when you meet somebody uh, the, the the tarnish of their kufr isn't rubbing off on you and uh, uh, part of the way of honoring that is to say salam. And this also kind of counts for people and, you know, people who live in Dar al-Kufr who, uh, uh, but like they live in places where there's a lot of Muslims. Um, you should say salam to one another. Uh, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, his hadith is very clear. He says that you won't enter Jannah until uh, 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 you believe 
and you will believe until you love one another. Should I not inform you of that thing? Uh, if you if you were to do it, it would cause you to love one another. And uh, uh, they said, indeed, O Messenger of Allah, he says, Ashu salama bainakum. He says that uh, 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 proliferate this uh, uh, salam between you. This greeting of salam. And salam is one of the names of salam is one of the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. الملك القدوس السلام المؤمن المحيمن العزيز الجبار المتكبر سبحان الله عما يشركون. This is from the divine names of Allah Taala. He is salam. He is that that peace and wholeness that is free from blemish or from uh, uh, any any manner of deficiency. And so when you say السلام عليكم, you are reciting this uh, attribute from the divine attributes on the person it's a dua that you make for them and uh, uh, all of us benefit from it when two believers make uh, say salam to one another uh, uh, you know the the sins fall by the wayside and uh, uh, this is uh, I mean this is this is something really good it's something important and the best the better of the two parties is who the one who says salam first and so a person shouldn't say, look, I'm too good for this person. This person should say salam to me. Yes, there are certain uh, uh, times when the adab is, for example, for youngers to say salam first to the elders, uh, for the person who is uh, uh, riding to say salam to the person who is walking, etc. But if the person who should say salam is, you know, uh, heedless of their uh, obligation in this matter, or, or, you know, maybe even just possessed by some arrogance, that's not a problem. You can show that you're better than that person by saying salam to them first. And look how beautiful it is, the entire greeting. As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu wa alaykum as-salamu wa rahmatullahi wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Salam be upon you. And the mercy of Allah and his blessings. Uh, so even if the person doesn't answer back, the angels will answer you back. And the reason that you say "Assalamu alaikum," you say it in the in the expression uh, denoting the plural, is because you not only greet the person, you greet the angels that are with them. And uh, the person may be a knucklehead, and their du'a for you may not mean much, may not amount to much, but at least the angels return the 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 uh, the greeting, and their du'as mean a lot. Their du'as are are pure and their uh, nur and their barakah, their light and their blessings and they're filled with ruhaniyah with spirituality uh, so let a person not worry about that and let them say uh, salam to one another uh, and uh, it's from piety that the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said salama ala man arafta wa man lam ta'araf that a person should say the salam to the person they know and say the salam to the person that they don't know and uh, saying salam only to the people that you know is a sign of uh, uh, that something's wrong. And then worse than that is not even saying salam to the people that you know, uh, uh, rather only saying salam to those people who you wish for some uh, worldly benefit from or that you have some sort of worldly connection with uh, or some sort of knowledge, like uh, some sort of miserly connection or expectation of of uh, some sort of worldly perk from from saying salam to them which is a blasphemy of the divine name. That's not what the salam is all about. 
and then he continues he says uh, uh, and it's the right of the believer to visit his uh, brother uh, when he becomes sick and this is really interesting and it's really important especially since we're living in the era of plague and the era of epidemic um, and I think inshallah this is the, the, the point that we'll stop at I today read the, uh, uh, I believe it's what, the 11th volume of the Ma'yar al-Mu'rib um, collection of Wancharisi's like master collection of the Nawazil and Ahkam and Fatawa of the, the court verdicts and the fatwas um, and the fiqh uh, rulings for emergency situations uh, for lack of a better way of describing it uh, right on the, on the, off the cuff. Um, from um, uh, Andalus and from from North Africa, uh, um, in the back of the uh, near the end of the eleventh volume, there are uh, some uh, fatawa discussing plague. So I thought, if not now, then when? Uh, let's take a look at this. And one of the, I guess, one of the aspects of uh, uh, of the discussion that I found really interesting that seems to be absent from a lot of our discussions nowadays. Uh, although, you know, that might just be me. Maybe I just haven't seen it. Maybe someone's discussing it or, or another. But it seems to be absent, uh, at least from my cursory uh, interaction with the Muslim public, is when they talk about la adwa, uh, that there is no contagion. Um, one of the opinions about that is not necessarily having to do with whether disease can be transmitted through contagion or not. Or what the uh, um, what the uh, uh, mechanism of contagion is, but there's a fair deal of discussion that has to do with what that has to do with what the ramifications of uh, of the belief in contagion mean. And so there's a, there's a, a, a tract about here where there was some ulama that said la adwa meant. Um, that the, the 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 legal and practical ramifications of contagion, the Prophet ﷺ wanted to get them out of there, uh, the hearts of the people. Why? Because if the person is so afraid of contagion, they'll stop taking care of the sick, they'll stop visiting the sick, they'll stop uh, washing and uh, shrouding and burying their dead, they'll stop making janazas for their dead. And uh, he mentioned that. He mentioned uh, when Sharisi mentions that that that's like completely unacceptable. He said that the, whether the contagion is there and the point of the hadith is just to point toward Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as the primal and only effective cause in, in reality or whether uh, uh, there's no such thing as contagion which was the understanding of some of our uh, ulama in the past which can be forgiven given their lack of uh, understanding of the way uh, microbiology works uh, as well as uh, you know certain people's uh, um, tilt toward literalism or toward uh, uh, you know reading uh, surface level meanings into things, but said so that it's that that there was a group of ulama said that the point of saying la adwa is what is that that you should not allow the idea of contagion to affect how you treat one another to change, and uh, I thought that was really deep and again I I don't recall seeing a whole lot of discussion uh, in that vein. Um, you know, in, in, in the Muslim, uh, uh, you know, whatever internet and Muslim discussions that are going on uh, in, the, in, the, in the general public. And he mentions this, that this is a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, that whoever's in a, 
in a, a, a place where plague is, they shouldn't leave. And whoever is in a place that plague isn't is, they, who isn't in the place that the plague is, that they shouldn't come to that place. And so he, he says this, that this idea that whoever dies of plague is a shaheed, he says that's not just for a person who dies of plague. Many people will die of plague and they will not receive the maqam of shaheed. The maqam of shaheed is what? For the person who dies of plague and uh, that person uh, didn't run from it, you know, didn't leave, run away from it. They're in the place of plague and they follow the prophetic commandment of staying there. And then they're patient with Allah's decree and uh, they never thought or said anything ill of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. For that person is the shahada. And they said that classically one of the, the, the things, there are people who knew that they didn't have plague. Obviously nowadays, you know, they say that you can be a asymptomatic carrier for X number of days. But not every disease is like that. Many of them, uh, you know, you get the disease, you know you have the disease and you're contagious with it. So there are people who thought that maybe they could run away and save themselves from the disease. And he says that if everybody does that, uh, what happens? Then the sick, there's no one to take care of them. Then th there's no one to give them water. They'll starve to death. They'll, 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 they'll die of thirst. You know, there'll be no one to shroud them. There'll be nobody to wash them. There'll be nobody to pray their janazas. There'll be nobody to comfort them. And he said, that's completely bogus. And so he said that uh, this is one of the mean, meanings of shahada that the, the mashayikh used to say, the ulama used to tell people in order to encourage them to stay in the places that they are. Now we know with the hindsight of like modern medicine or whatever, that another wisdom of telling people to stay in their places and not run from the place of disease is what is that this will help with containment of the contagion. But the old ulama, the way they used to look at it was a more humanistic angle. And I don't like saying humanistic because humanistic in so many ways is like, it's like the opposite of believing in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But here it is, the best of being a human being and the best of being a believer, which is what? La taj'al al-musabina bil-waba' urdatan lil-fana. It's a hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that he, 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 he said that the... That my my uh, uh, my ummah like will be uh, will be uh, killed off through uh, uh, plague and through ta'an through through being murdered through bloodshed, and uh, uh, the point is is what is that the 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 the, the point point is is what is that when someone is like dying of plague you don't just like hang them out to dry, or when they're dying of plague you don't just like leave them to die like the death of an animal. You know, like just abandoned in the forest until something else comes and kills it or they, it dies of uh, hunger or thirst because no one else can help it. Like watch nature documentaries. These things happen in, in the jungle all the time. In fact, there are many times when even animals won't let that happen to their uh, to other animals. Um, and so uh, the point of this is not necessarily me telling people, OK, go to Janazas and get coronavirus and die of it as well. But the point is, is what is that this it's a haq, it's considered one of the foundational civilizational values of Islam. That is the haqq, it's the right of a person that when they're sick that they should be visited and they should be comforted and taken care of, that they're, you know, they should be given water, that they should be given food, that they should not be abandoned to die. And when they die, they should not be abandoned to their, you know, to let their bodies rot in the street. Rather, they should be washed if possible without harming people and they should be shrouded uh, if possible and they should have a janazah and they should be buried with the decency and dignity. And all of these things are vehicles for the reward and forgiveness of Allah Ta'ala, the ridha of Allah Ta'ala. Whenever we show as human beings honor for another human being, even when it's not profitable or convenient, 
just because it's an, another human being, what do we do? We're honoring ourselves and that person and it keeps civilization still going. It keeps it one step further away from descending into the chaos of, uh, of the jungle, uh, of just regressing back into that uh, animalistic state, uh, which Allah Ta'ala honored our species with uh, being elevated out of. Uh, uh, and so uh, I thought that was really interesting and it's connected to this uh, uh, to this uh, uh, discussion that we are, are having. And again, I ran now several minutes over. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put barakah in our ilmah and in our words. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the tawfiq of enacting those things that we talked about and forgive us for, uh, uh, for, for where we fall short. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make the difficulty of these days a kafara uh, for us and a reason for our sins to be forgiven and whoever is mubtala with this disease or with any other sickness in the Ummah of Sayyidina Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Allah Ta'ala accepted as a kafara from them and Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala uh, make it a means for uh, our happiness and our betterment in this world and the hereafter. Wa salli wa sallam wa baraka ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam ajma'in. Subh'anaHu Rabbika Rabbil Izzati Amma Yasifun As-Salamun Ala Al-Muslim Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Allahumma Rabbana Taqabbal Minna Wa Firdana Wa Rahamna Wa Wafiqna Lima Tuhib وَتَرْضَى بِهِ وَاخْتِمْ لَنَا بِالْحُسْنَى وَارْفَعْ بِأَيْدِينَ رَايَةَ الْإِسْلَامِ بَرَكَةَ الْفَاتِحَةِ السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته